Hi, welcome to the Covenant Presbyterian Church podcast, a weekly broadcast of our Sunday sermon. Covenant Presbyterian Church is an open, affirming congregation, and we're so glad you found us. Our primary mission is to equip God's people to serve Christ in the world. In our weekly messages, we hope that you'll find inspiration, encouragement, and even challenge for your faith journey. Please listen with us now. Admittedly, for my homily this evening, it's going to be a little bit of a hard sell for Christmas Eve, but I'm just going to go with it anyway, and here is what I'm proposing, that the Bible is not to be considered primarily a story. Now, I know, I know, we just heard the story of Christmas Eve, the nativity, the angels, the shepherds, the guest room, the inn, the whole Christmas scene. But for tonight, we'll set aside the narrative approach for just a moment, even on Christmas Eve, and let's consider something that is perhaps new. Let's consider the Bible as poetry. Now, I'm not coming up with this. I'm following Duke Divinity School professor, Dr. Brent Strawn's proposal that the Bible can be read as poetry. He presents a compelling argument. He says that our approach to the Bible, the lens we use to consider it, profoundly influences our interpretations. And Strawn suggests that actually, when we read the Bible as poetry, it solves some of those tricky problems, some of these current modern-day issues that we have with this text, and it encourages us to grow more deeply in faith and in life. And so I say, surely, that's worth loosening our grip a little bit even on this night. We can put aside the most adorable nativity scene to consider the Bible as poetry. There are several gifts that we receive when we view view the Bible as poetry. Strawn, poetically, he says that they all start with the same letter So, the first gift, if we consider the Bible as poetry, is candor or honesty. Poetry, we know this, it has a way of presenting for us the fullness of life, all that life is. There's a poet who's also a Christian, whose name also starts as Christian, but Christian Wyman, he says this about poetry. Poetry reflects a certain density of lived experience suffered into form. Or Gwendolyn Brooks, who boils it down into just two words to say poetry is life distilled. And then Garrison Keillor adds his opinion, saying, good poems provide us with a truer account 
than what we are accustomed to receiving. So when we approach the Bible as poetry, we embrace this understanding that life is large, big, full, and full of contradictions. You know, when we're reading poetry, we don't wonder as much about the veracity of a particular thing, but we believe that the person is writing from their experience of life and all it is. So when we come to the Bible as poetry, we don't wonder as much about how we can mesh these moments of pain in the text, or we don't argue against these snapshots of violence in the Bible. Instead, we acknowledge the coexistence of suffering and new life, of Job's story and Jesus' good news. Dr. Strawn says the most difficult parts of the Bible are not mere stories to be read or, God forbid, reenacted, but rather they are poetic testimonies, brutal, raw, bruised, and above all, truthful. Candor, then, is the first gift that reading the Bible as poetry has to offer us. And the second gift is contemporaneity. I practiced a lot on that. Contemporaneity. There we go. Meaning this. Poetry is not only candid, but it is also meant for you and for me. It's not meant solely for the poet who writes it. It's intended to be not only read, but re-uttered, retold. With poetry, we are invited to step into and inhabit the poem. One of the devices used is that poetry often uses I language, first person, so that we make the words our own in our time and in our place. And while stories also possess this quality to some extent, I think we can all acknowledge it's more challenging to read oneself as Bilbo Baggins the Hobbit on his way to Mordor than it is to resonate with Walt Whitman's famous lines, do I contradict myself very well then? I contradict myself. I contain multitudes. So poetry then, and the Bible as poetry, it has the ability to collapse the barriers that exist within stories and allows us to transcend the role of mere observers. So we are no longer peering in from a distant room to a manger scene, but we are joining our voices with Mary's own when she sings, my soul cries out with a joyful shout. My spirit rejoices in God who is my savior. Poetry's gift of contemporaneity, it transforms scripture from being this ancient story or this mundane history into the promise for the people of faith, which is, it is a living word. 
a word that is re-uttered and retold with salvific purpose. The Chilean poet Pablo Neruda says this about reading poetry. He says he hopes to find himself within the words emerging in a stanza cleansed of all evil. Alleluia. Amen. Now the final gift bestowed upon us by viewing the Bible as poetry, even on Christmas Eve, is continuation. Poetry, by its very nature, invites an ongoing dialogue and exploration. Billy Collins, the poet, humorously remarks, the trouble with poetry is that it just encourages the writing of more poetry, more guppies filling the tanks. The sentiment is also found in the structure of poetry. You've heard of a haiku. It's a popular Japanese poetic form that is most popular in middle schools everywhere. And it consists of three lines with syllable counts of five, seven, five, respectively. And it is a form that lends itself to collaboration, to poetic conferences. I don't know if you know this, but haiku began where one poet would write a stanza, then another would respond, and then maybe a third would get in, and the process continues, and they add stanzas among them, sometimes reaching up to a hundred stanzas within a certain period of time. Now, Strawn reminds us that Scripture doesn't directly engender more Scripture, but you know we are always coming back to it. We are always coming back to the text, always in an attempt to find more, to fully comprehend its depths. Continuation, therefore, is a gift that is significant of Bible as poetry because it says that no matter how many times we revisit the Bible, we never grasp all there is. So what a delight that every Christmas Eve we hear the same words. <laughs> we sing the same hymns. Even if this is the only service you come to every year, it's good that you hear these words again and again. In John's gospel, there is wisdom of the word of light and life. And the prophets, we hear the Prince of Peace, the Everlasting One. The words are yours each time to break open and to learn more. So the Greek term for poetry, poeo, it means to make, to make. The Bible has not only been lovingly made, but it continues to make. Reading the Bible as poetry, it reminds us that the Bible has not only been made, but it continues to make. 
to make and to remake me and you yesterday, tomorrow, and even today, even tonight. If we allow the words to be our own, to resonate within us, to shape our perspectives, to inspire our lives with sacred meaning, the word of life and light, a child in a major, it will be born in each of us. Now, if you've been with us over the Advent season, this focus on poetry, it won't be a surprise to you. Our Advent theme for the past several weeks is there is always light. This, of course, references the Gospel of John, but specifically, it's from Amanda Gorman's inaugural poem. She says, for there is always light. If only we are brave enough to see it, if only we are brave enough to be it. And this year, even our lessons and carols on December 16th, we switched it out a little bit and we made it lessons, poems, and carols. And we heard some more modern poets and they took the stage between our traditional hymns. We heard from Howard Thurman who professed, I will light the candles this Christmas candles of joy, despite all sadness. Grace Butcher, no relation, who penned in her poem on the necessity of snow angels for the well-being of the world, wherever there is snow, I go. Keep walking to the next beautiful thing you will do. Madeline L. Engel, wonderful theologian, children's author, we heard her poem, The First Coming, and it encouraged us. We cannot wait till the world is sane to raise our songs with joyful voice, for to share our grief, to touch our pain. He came with love. Rejoice. Rejoice. So tonight, amid the poetry of Scripture that we hear every year, the beautiful verse from John's Gospel, the prophet's speech that is sacred and holy, for tonight I'll leave us with this Christmas blessing, a poem by theologian and best-selling author, a podcaster. You may have heard of her, Kate Bowler. She is also a colleague of Dr. Brent Strawn, and maybe she heard his lecture before she penned this Christmas poem. Jesus, this is the great inversion I would not have known had you not appeared and made yourself small. Jesus, I would have been satisfied with the God who moves mountains and whose breath imparts life, but who never cried in his mother's arms. The world whispers to me about what must be done, about empires and war, 
about efficiency and strength, but there you are a refusal. Your fragility, a witness. Your dependence, an invitation. Your cry, a reminder that our finitude is not an embarrassment because neither was yours. Blessed are we when we see love at long last and every small and tender thing stealing into our world to change us all. May it be so on this Christmas Eve. Alleluia. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Covenant Presbyterian Church podcast. I invite you to visit our website, covpresatl.org. That's C-O-V-P-R-E-S-A-T-L.org. There you'll find current worship information, links to our live Sunday morning streaming service, and our full archive of recorded services. You'll also find out more about us and how to get in touch. I wish you well in these strange times. God is with us. Grace and peace to you.